morning, everyone. Welcome to Center Presbyterian Church. We are so happy to have you with us here this morning. Let's take a moment now as we enter into worship to prepare our hearts. Um, it is always crazy around our house on a Sunday morning, uh, getting to this point where we can just finally sit down. Uh, often has many hoops jump through between them. So let's remind ourselves that God is present and that we're here to worship. Please rise with me as we read this call to worship. I'll read from the yellow, and you can respond by reading from the white print. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. All right. Well, this morning, uh, our scripture text, our sermon text is Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 to 43. And I want to invite you to stand with me as we read it. It's not nearly as long as the last few weeks passages. So here we go. Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 through 43. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians were also brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Nathophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshalem, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some of the priests with trumpets. And also Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shehemiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zakor, the son of Asaph and his associates, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Ma'ai, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall, together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the Jeshana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred, and as far as the sheep gate. At the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God, and so did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Maseah, Menaniah, Micaiah, Elonai, Zechariah, Hassaniah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzai, Jehohanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Azar. The choirs sang under the direction of Jezariah. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing 
because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right. Well, with that reading, I think it's fair to say that the book of Nehemiah is not for the faint of heart. Uh, If you haven't been with us the last few months and weeks, uh, you may not know, but there's a lot in this book. This, the whole book, it tells the story of the people of Jerusalem who have come back from exile far away. After 70 years, they've returned to their city to reclaim it and to rebuild it. And the past three weeks, past few weeks, we've read some really uh, complicated stuff, I guess. We've read recitations of the law. We have read corporate confessions of sin. We've read about renewals, and we've read about recommitments. We've read some city planning details, and we have read more than a few lists. Some of that stuff, well, it can be hard to follow, right? And if we're being honest, some of it, it can be a little bit boring. But not today. See, today, we get to party. I'm excited about this text because I think this is just a great text for the week we're in. Uh, The last few weeks, the last four weeks at this church have been the Sundays of Advent, you know? Advent, it's the season where we're talking about anticipation. We're looking forward to the coming of Christ. It's the weeks where we actually focus on how the world is not the way it should be, how we need a Savior. We're waiting for Him to come. But this week... At least on the church calendar, this week is Christmas. You know the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas? It's about right now. It's this period that the church sets aside. It goes from the 25th of December all the way to the 6th of January, where we get to celebrate the coming of Jesus. It's this point where, as the church, we focus, we linger as the world moves on. As people are packing up their lights, as they're throwing out their Christmas trees, as the stores are turning off the Christmas music that they started playing in August, we wait a little bit longer. We're not focused on presents. We're not focused on gifts, but we're focused on the way the angel said it, right? The good news of great joy that's for all the people. And so this morning, that's my goal for us. I want us to leave here rejoicing. And I know that's a big task, but I want us to do it. I want us to rejoice like these people did in the book of Nehemiah. I want us to see Jesus so clearly that when we go out of here, we're ready to celebrate. So let's try to do that. I want to do that by looking at three things this morning. I want to look at why they partied, why we should party, and then... What would happen if we actually did? So let's, let's talk about it. Why they partied. That's the focus of this text. Nehemiah 12, it's all about this enormous celebration, the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. And there's a map I got that you guys can see up on the screen. I think I got a little, like, thing. Oh, does this work? I don't know. Um, the top one. Okay. Oh, 
that, that, uh, okay. So I'm going to tell you what happened. Just recap what we read. Uh, basic overview. They finished the building the wall. The city is filled up with musicians. It's filled up with singers. And Nehemiah, they split these people into two groups. And each group has an entire choir with them. And they climb up on top of the wall. The wall is completed and they start to walk. The first group is led by Ezra. And they start down around here. And they kind of walk up this way to about right there. The other group is Nehemiah is a part of that group. And they start here. And they march all the way around here till about right there. And then they come down off the wall. They enter into the temple, which is in the middle. And they start to worship. I want you to listen to this description. Verse 43 again, it says, On that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Now I know that we're Presbyterians. And I know that when we think of worship, we think of something subdued, right? Something quiet, something respectable. But folks, this party that they had, it was bumping. <laughs> this, was a, this, was a, a, this was the Old Testament equivalent of having a marching band, right? And they're parading around on the tops of the wall, and it was, it was loud. The sound of their rejoicing, it could be heard from far away. Can you imagine that? When Melissa and I were first married, we lived in this apartment on a pretty crowded street. And our neighbors, not too far down the road, they were really into karaoke. And I mean, they were really into karaoke. And I don't know, I don't know what kind of setup they had, but all I know is pretty much every night of the week, you could feel the bass in our living room as these people uh, sang terrible renditions of the latest hits. And when I read this verse, that the sound of their rejoicing could be heard far away, I can't help but imagine all these enemies that we've been reading about, right? Sanballat, Tobiah, all these people kind of sitting outside the walls, just angry in their houses, listening as these people have this huge, loud party. But what made it such a party? Why was this moment so filled with joy? Well, of course, there's the, the obvious. They had finished a big job. It was the culmination of a lot of hard work. We read in the other chapters of this book what that hard work looked like. Day and night, building this wall with opposition, staying awake, just trying to make sure they could get to the point where it was finished. But that's not the main reason that they celebrate. It's more than a mission-accomplished party that they're having. This party was all about recognizing God's overwhelming and undeserved faithfulness to them. This is not just about the last few months as they were building a wall, but it's actually a story that goes back hundreds of years before this moment. Back to the days when God first brought them to the promised land. And they stood outside looking in. 
You can read the whole story of this moment in the book of Deuteronomy. As they stood there, God reminded them of the law. And he made this covenant with them, a covenant that at the end had this list of blessings and curses. Blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. He told them what would happen if they followed his commands. And he also warned them about what would happen if they disobeyed. You can read about it in Deuteronomy 28. In the list of blessings, God says, If you faithfully obey the law of the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. And all the blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land, and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in, and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he's giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Now if you skip forward just a couple of slides and a couple of verses to the end of Deuteronomy chapter 58. God also lays out some curses For what happens if you disobey? He says, if you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in the book, and you do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your ancestors have known. Among those nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing, and a despairing heart. Now, fast forward to the story we are looking at in Nehemiah, and there is this recognition that the Israelites, they got what they deserved. They had done exactly what God had forbidden, and God had done exactly what he said he was going to do. He had let them be destroyed. He let the nation of Babylon come and sweep them off and carry them away, hopeless and helpless. But that wasn't the end of the story, right? Even in Deuteronomy, it's not the end of the story because right before the book wraps up, God adds this small phrase. He says, When all these blessings and curses that I've set before you come on you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God, And you obey him with all your heart 
and with all your soul according to everything I command you today. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where I've scattered you. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The message here is that while sin brings disaster, God's love cannot be cut off. That God will never abandon those who turn to him. And that's why the people are celebrating. It's not because of their own goodness. It's not because of their great accomplishments. It's not because of the work they have done, but it is because they know firsthand God's steadfast love towards them. God had been faithful even though they were faithless. And this joy that we see, it's the overflow of these people who know that they are loved by God, who know they didn't deserve it, but God had rescued them nonetheless. And so, they had a party. Now let me tell you why we also should have a party. As we look uh, at the situation, we see these people marching around the walls. The first thing you need to recognize is the source of their joy, it's, it's not just circumstantial. True joy has to come from the Lord. The circumstances of these people, it wasn't perfect. There were still a lot of problems in this moment in Nehemiah. Yeah, they had accomplished this task of building the wall, but it wasn't a worry-free life they were now heading into. They still had a lot of obstacles ahead of them. They still had to rebuild society. They still had to populate this city. They still had to contend with all of these tribes and nations around them who really didn't like them very much. And I think we can relate to this, right? We can relate to some difficult life circumstances this year, can't we? This has not been the easiest year. I'm thankful this is the last Sunday of 2020. At best, 2020 has been a year of unmet expectations and altered plans. But at worst, it's been a year of loss where we've lost people that we loved, people who are close to us, where we've had to fear for our own lives, where we've battled with depression and despair and isolation. For a lot of us, the holidays have been this glaring reminder that things are not the way they should be. But as we look at the people in Nehemiah, 
It's a reminder that, that our joy comes from a deeper place. Our joy transcends the moment because it is not rooted in our changing world around us, but it's rooted in something unshakable. Our joy is rooted in the love of God. And this week, I, as I've been studying this passage and thinking about it, I've been a little bit overwhelmed, honestly, thinking how difficult it is for me to rejoice in the love of God. I'm somebody who has been a Christian for a long time. I'm a pastor. I, I, I've studied, I've read, I've, 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 I've done as much as I can to, uh, to deepen my faith. And still, in spite of all my good theology, I often struggle to believe that I am truly welcomed before God. Can anybody relate to that? I can get so caught up in my own feelings of inadequacy. I can get caught up in my history, looking back and seeing just how many times I have failed. I can get caught up in my present, recognizing that still after all this time, I am just so far away from being holy. But this week, as I was thinking about joy in the Lord, I was incredibly blessed to learn about this old book by John Bunyan called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. You guys may know John Bunyan because he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which is the number two selling book of all time. Um, but you may not know he was a 17th century preacher and he wrote about 50 other books and he preached a bunch of sermons. And one of those books that he wrote was this book called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. And it's an entire book, hundreds of pages on just one verse, on John 6, 37. It's a well-known verse. It says, All those the Father gives, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Or the King James you might be more familiar with it. it says, all the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. This truth that John Bunyan talks about in his book is put on display in Nehemiah 12. As these people are marching around the walls of the city shouting in joy as they are reopening the temple for worship. It is this beautiful picture of the restoring, welcoming love of God that's ultimately fulfilled for us in Jesus. Jesus tells us, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will in no wise cast out. I will never ever cast out. He doesn't say that because we deserve to be welcomed back. Certainly, we do not deserve to be welcomed back. These people in Nehemiah, they didn't deserve to be welcomed back. And just like them, we're disobedient to God. We've done the things he told us not to do. We have chosen to live life however we see fit. And in the process, we've hurt ourselves. In the process... We've hurt other people that we love. But God's love 
is unlike anything else you're going to find on earth. I have a friend, a close friend, who has pretty much ruined his life through sin. I had a chance to speak with him on the phone this week, and it was tough. I came away with a lot of conflicting feelings, because on one hand, he's lost everything. He's separated from his family. He has lost his career. And that is almost nothing compared to the harm he's brought into other people's lives. The harm he's done to others in the process of his sin. So as we were talking on the phone late at night, I could, I could hear the pain in his voice. I could hear the remorse over some of the things he'd done. And I had a lot of sympathy for him. But if I'm being honest, when I hung up the phone, I, I still felt conflicted. Because he'd hurt me in the process. And even now, it's, it's difficult for me to know what to do with that relationship. It's difficult for me to know how to move on, how to move forward, how to truly forgive this person. But Jesus is not like me. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. See, the glory of the gospel is that God has no wrath left for sinners who've been saved by Jesus Christ. It's all been poured out on the cross. And that wasn't begrudgingly done. Christ was not forced into it. He wasn't tricked into it. He wasn't coerced. But it's like we said a few weeks ago that when he went to the cross, it was because of the joy that was set before him. It was because his delight is in the redemption of his people. And so he can say, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And that means you. Whatever baggage you might be bringing here this morning, it's not too great for him. If you'll just turn, if you'll just repent, if you'll just see your need and come, he'll welcome you. And I want you to hear this quote from this 340-year-old book in case you're still not getting it. John Bunyan, he says, this word, in no wise, cuts the throat of all objections. It was dropped by the Lord Jesus for that very end. And to help with a faith that's mixed with unbelief, it is the sum of all promises. And there is no objection about the unworthiness in you that this promise will not defeat. But I'm a great sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. 
but I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ, but I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ, but I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. This promise was provided to answer all objections and does answer them. So if you struggle to believe, if you struggle to believe that, well, well, look at this picture in Nehemiah. Look at this picture of God's people who could not have done more to reject him. And here they are, restored, welcomed, rejoicing. But more than that, look at Jesus. Because he is the real guarantee of this promise. Because he has taken the punishment, there is only reward left for you when you come to God. Because he has taken the anger, there is only love left for you when you bow before the king. Because he lives to intercede for you right now at this moment, there is only welcome for you when you come before the Father. It's like that old song says, right? The only fitness he requires is that we see our need of him, that we come. And if you see your need this morning, then you can come. And you can come with joy and not a fake put on kind of, hmm, that's, that's nice theology, I'm, thank you. But I'm talking about the, the pull out the trumpet and, and march around the city and, and yell and scream and shout, I'm welcome today. I am loved. I am delighted in. I have been restored. See, folks, if you get the grace of God, if you understand what it really means, then today, regardless of what the circumstances of your life may look like, you can party. And, and you should. So the last thing I want to ask us then is, what if we do? What if we decide to actually do this? Verse 43, it says that when the party went down, the sound of rejoicing could be heard from far away. Now, I've already said that's literal, right? You really literally could hear it from far away. It was loud. They were making lots of noise. But there's a principle here as well that we can learn from. That true joy is contagious. True joy in the Lord is contagious. And when God's people rejoice, the world notices. When God's people rejoice, the world notices. A great example of this is in the book of Acts, right at the beginning. Remember when they start to preach the gospel? All these people respond, and this amazing new community is formed around the good news of Jesus. And Acts tells us that every day, 
The people continued to meet together in, their, in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts and it says they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If we start to party, other people are going to want to join in. I mean, you've heard of wedding crashers, right? You know, it's, it's people who see a party going on, and they jump into it. They don't know the couple, <laughs> but they hear the music, they see the food, and they say, you know what? I'm going to do that too. Now, funeral crashers, you don't hear about that much, right? Family argument crashers, not really a thing. Nobody sees a bunch of people who are sad and burdened, who are angry and divided and says, you know what, I want some of that. Let me jump in and, and enjoy their pain. No, that doesn't happen. So where do we fall on that spectrum between a party and a fight? Where do we fall on that spectrum between wedding crashers and, and funeral crashers? Well, I'd say I've been here about five months now. And I can at least safely say we're not really in party mode. I look at this church and, and I see, I love you guys. We, this is my church. This is my home. But, but I also recognize that somehow, over the years, we have managed to let the joy of our salvation get swallowed up by the drudgery of preservation. You know, we're not building new things and dedicating to the Lord with joy and trumpets. <laughs> we're kind of stuck, right? We're kind of a stuck church. But when I read this, I'm not worried. Because I know one thing, you know, when you, when you see an empty dance floor, all it takes is one person. When you see an empty dance floor, all it takes is that one person to get drawn into the music, and before you know it, there is a whole crowd out there dancing. That means that all it takes is you. Or you. Or you. All it takes is you to get a fresh vision of just how faithful Jesus has been to you. That he will never cast you out. That he will always welcome you when you come to him. If this church gets filled with the joy that comes from the Spirit. If we let our hearts get swept up into this story again, if the sound of our rejoicing actually gets loud enough that it can be heard throughout the city, if we start to live in our neighborhoods confident every day that we belong to Jesus, confident that there is nobody who is too far away from him, not even us, if we become the living proof 
the walking proof that, that says that, that whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Well, then you know what? People aren't going to wait for an invitation. They'll just crash the party. And won't that be fun? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the good news of the gospel and the opportunity that we have to rejoice in this text today. Lord, thank you that you give us reason to celebrate that you have come, that we don't have to wait any longer, that we don't have to fear that you welcome us. Lord, I want to pray this morning for anybody who might be here who doesn't know you. I pray that today would be the day that they would not hesitate, that they would come, and that they would know you are ready to receive them. Lord, I pray for our church that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation, that it wouldn't be distant, that it wouldn't be theology in our heads, but Lord, that you would bring new life to our hearts. Lord, would it begin with me? Father, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.